0: Well, good morning, Woodside. How are you doing today? Awesome, good. Glad to see and hear you. Uh, if you would turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, that's where we'll be this morning together in God's Word as we continue in our series on the person of Elijah. You see on the screen, our message today is conquering our self-pity. I wonder how many of you in this room have I asked, uh, you ever felt sorry for yourself? <laughs> Never, right? <laughs> you ever been in the place where you're just like, man, I, I just, I don't know, I, I'm just upset, I don't, I don't like where I'm at right now, or... Maybe you worked really hard to get a job promotion and you didn't get it. Or, man, you, you thought that you should be recognized for something and you weren't recognized. Man, maybe there's, there's some moms in the room that, that just feel like they can never measure up to being the mom that they think they should be to their kids. Or maybe there's some dads in the room that feel the same way. Maybe you felt that way when you're overcome again by the same sin that has been been, been just after you and troubling you for your whole life, and afterwards all you are filled with with self-pity. Like, I, I just stink, and I, I'm not that good. Whatever it may be, I don't know, maybe you felt that way. I'm sure you have at some point in life. I, I'll share some of my own uh, struggles with that even today as we work at, look at the text, but it just reminds me of uh, some of you younger people in the room probably won't remember who or even know who Charlie Brown is. Uh, or the peanuts, I was just reminded of it, we helped take the students to, or I, I was helping taking uh, students to Cedar Point, uh, and uh, I saw the peanuts, I was reminded, even as I was thinking about this message, about, man, that individual Charlie Brown, who's always, it seems like, in, in doubt or despair, um, he's in the position to always, if you remember, to catch the baseball, be the hero at the moment, and every time what happens, he fails, he misses, or, you know, he always goes to kick the football, and that rotten little girl <laughs> pulls the football away, and he swings, and he misses, and he lands on his back, and he says something all the time, good grief. <laughs> and it's kind of been funny as you're, maybe you're a child, or maybe you still watch Charlie Brown, and that's interesting if you do, but... Um, Maybe you feel that way even yourself as you fail or you seemingly think that you're not enough for what God has called you to be as a spouse, as a parent, as a leader, as whatever it is. And you think to yourself, even in certain moments, man, when you look inside into your own self, you're filled with pity and angst and you're just like, man, good grief. What is wrong with you, Jim? And you are a horrible pastor, Jim. You, you'll never measure up in this way as a dad, Jim. And you're just filled with self-pity. It's interesting. When we look at the, the life of Elijah in First Kings chapter 19, as we've been tracking through this series, uh, Elijah, a man like us, Oftentimes, as I said for the last four weeks, that we get this idea in our head that Elijah is some superhero Christian that never fails or has struggles. Like often we think about many of the people in the Bible, even though there's an entire chapter in Hebrews called the Hall of Faith of All Filled with Failures. Failures in the spiritual journey. Of life, and the only thing perfect or good about them, any redeeming factor is God Himself in Christ, found in the text. And it's interesting as you look and you're like, man, you, you watch all that Elijah has done in the story, and we get to the point in the text in chapter 19 is Elijah's lowest point. It's his lowest point in his entire experience, or that we, we get to read about in, in the text, and he, he just he just man. Just looks inward, focused on himself and his circumstances, and he just has filled with self-pity. And that's where we pick up our story. And it's interesting, uh, as we look a- a- and begin to look at uh, 1 Kings chapter, chapter 19, this is obviously the lowest part of his life, but what's amazing is it followed, it just got done following one of the amazing victories, the highest point. So the highest point that we read about in chapter 18 is where he is on top of Mount Carmel, and, and he... Overcomes the prophets of Baal and God shows up, and then interestingly, this is where we find ourselves. There's no contest. It feels as though all of the people of God are turning back to God Himself, and there's revival in the land, and there's has been this great victory, and people are on top of the mountain singing or saying, The Lord He is God, the Lord He is God. And then we pick up on our story where Elijah sinks to the bottom, the lowest part filled with self-pity. And what we're going to see today is through God's call on Elijah's life, he, he calls him to a few different things, which, which brings life for him to overcome his self-pity. And really, that's what I want you to see, is God's call conquers our self-pity. God's call in your life conquers your self-pity. God's call on my life conquers my self-pity. As we look at the text together today, again, I just want you to see three things that God calls Elijah to in light of his own brokenness, his inward self-pity, good grief, and this is not, I, I'm the only one, or I'm, I don't want to do this anymore, whatever it may be. God's call on him is what helps him overcome and conquer his own self-pity. And I, I pray that it would be the same for us today. We're going to read a, a good part, portion of chapter 19. If you want to look with me, uh, 1 Kings 19 and verse 1, look what it says. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. If you haven't been with us, Jezebel is not a good person. Okay? And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, the prophets of Baal, that is. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, excuse me, and Left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise, eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head, a cake baked on hot stones, and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, "Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you." And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength that food, um, in the strength of that food, for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And there had to be some good cakes. Forty days and 40 nights. See, the first thing I want you to see in, in overcoming his own self-pity, the first thing that God calls him to is God calls him to himself. He, he calls him to him personally, actually. And like I said before, it may seem like a big surprise. Like Elijah just had this huge mountaintop experience triumphing over uh, all of the prophets of Baal and showing Baal himself as he is impotent, he has no relevance, right, and all of this. And what happens now is Ahab tells his wife Jezebel, who really is the villain in the story, what has happened. And this is the individual, Jezebel, who actually has been opposing God. Actually, she's the one who killed all of God's prophets and also the one that brought about Baal worship when she married uh, Ahab. And so she's not real happy about it, right? And so, man... She reports what happened. Uh, He reports to her what happens on Mount Carmel and all of this, right? And she sends a death threat to Ahab or to to Elijah. Hey, by this time tomorrow, you better be dead or I hope what what you did to all the prophets of Baal, worse happens to me. Basically saying by tomorrow, you're a dead man. And instantly... He's filled with fear. Not, not trusting in the provision of God or man, God just opened up the heavens, shot down fire and even took the rocks with it. And immediately he's like, no, nope. God, you can't handle this. And he's filled with fear. And he travels a really long way from Jezreel. He says north to Be- Beersheba. It's pretty much as far away from Jezebel as he can get, and he sits under a broom tree and, 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 and utters his like, wishes to just die. And it's, and it's interesting, right? He's so filled with self-pity. He's looking inward. It takes over all that God has done, so much so that he, he drops off his prophet or his, his assistant and goes a whole other day's journey into the wilderness. He just wants to be alone and die. Now, when you look at the situation, I just want to point out, he's not uh, manic depressive. He's not ex- just exhausted. He's on the run. He's filled with fear. As one commentator says it, he, he says, he, there, there's been no return to Yahweh in the land. He's thinking. This is what he's thinking. He's like, man, nothing is happening of God's work, even though. Some crazy events just happened on top of the mountain where God proved and showed himself to be present. And one commentator writes, and I think he's accurate, he says, Elijah is suffering from a kind of covenant despair. Covenantal despair. Yes, he's exhausted, he's laying down, but he's he's overwhelmed by what he thinks is not happening on behalf of what God says will actually happen. Even though God has really just showed up. So he lays down, he's exhausted, he's asleep, and then God doesn't leave him there. This is what I want you to see from the text I love. God doesn't just leave him in his despair. He comes with an angel and taps on him. Hey, I made you something. Eat this cake. It's going to be a 40-day cake. You better, you better eat it. Right? And, and he meets him. And, and I think the the... The temptation in the text is always to look to this supernatural, which is awesome and great, is to look and be like, man, this is amazing, like God is providing for him with food and water. It happens twice in the text where this angel meets him there and is providing for him. I think it's, it's easy to get to sucked into this supernatural moment of provision, which is there, and it's awesome. But, but the angel's words to Elijah at the end of verse 7 really stand out at the point of what God is doing here. God isn't just here to keep providing for him under a tree in his self-pity. God's not just like, okay, you're okay, Elijah. Hey, um, Angel, go down there and rub his back and give him a couple cakes. No, the point is what happens at the end of our text we wrote when he says, arise and eat for the journey is great for you. He's not meeting him under the the, the tree just to provide for him so he can sit in his self-pity. No, God is there to provide for him to call him to himself to call him to something in his own self-pity. Arise and eat, right? If you're going to need the strength of this to go where I'm calling you to, 40 days journey, right? I just love that God doesn't leave him there. Instead, God actually summons him to himself. He supplies his physical resources and his needs to bring him to this place. Now, it's important where he goes. He's calling him to the same place that he met Moses. If you remember the story, right? And now God calls Elijah to the same mountain where the covenant of Israel was made. In the same place where he met Moses and proclaimed, really, his name to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, it got a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness in Exodus 34. And so He's calling him there. in His self-pity, he, He's not rejected by God. Man, I just want us to know that and see that. In our self-pity, just like Elijah, God is not rejecting us and being like, "You idiot. Why again are you like this? Or why are you struggling with? No, He meets Him there. And he wants to remind him of something significant. What he wants to remind him of, of his love and his rest that is found in his covenant, this, 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 this covenant that he established with his people. You see, the, the point here is that God doesn't turn Elijah away in his weakness, in his brokenness, in his self-pity. Rather, he draws him to himself to restore him and revitalize his heart in his life. I mean, that's the goodness of God. That's the grace of God in his life. What I find fascinating, though, is that it is at the point right after his greatest victory that we've seen in the text, in that moment is when he feels the most despair, the most self-pity, the most brokenness. That reminds me of the craftiness of Satan. Even in the the, the mountaintop moments where we are the highest maybe victory found in God, we're reminded right after that, have you ever been there? You're not very good actually. You stink. I'll, I'll share a little bit personally. For me, where I find myself in this is what I'm doing right now. You talk to most pastors, the times in which they feel their lowest is Sunday afternoons. Where they, they might come up and they, they, they put their whole week, they put maybe even more time into a message or a sermon where they think like, God, you're going to use this. And, and to be honest with you, God probably did. But then later on in their own brokenness, sitting on their own, they're, they're reminded by Satan himself, Jim, you're not very good what you did this morning was horrible. Nobody in your church got anything from that. And in a moment, I can switch from, even if 10 people told me like, man, God really spoke to me this morning, whatever, and people don't need to do that. I'm just saying, even in the midst of all of that, later on, just a couple hours later, God uh, can, can, can find me in a place where Satan is like, Jim, you don't measure up. You're not good enough. Do you remember what you did this week? Who are you to tell anybody that? And I can find myself under a broom tree, not asking God to take my life, but God, I don't want to do this anymore. Why am I a pastor? Why should I be doing this? And I wonder where it finds you. I find it fascinating that after women do the most miraculous thing that could, I mean, I would never be able to do in, in growing a, a child inside of them for nine months and then giving birth It's shortly after that where women oftentimes struggle the most as mothers. Why is that? Because Satan's really good at questioning, looking inward. Hey, look at yourself. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. Man, you don't measure up to that, mom, or whatever it might be. And maybe it's, it's different for you, whatever it might be. Man, oftentimes in the highest moment, it's shortly after that, where we're tricked into self-pity, believing that we are not who we, we could be or who, what God needs in us or whatever it might be. And we fall, our, we, we fall ourselves into this pit of self-pity, But what I want you to know is say no matter where you are, it doesn't matter if that's an example for you or it isn't, when you find yourself in those places, what I want you to see from the text is God doesn't leave us there. God is so good, he comes after us, finding us underneath a broom tree in our own self pity on a Sunday afternoon, or whatever day it is for you. And there he reminds us of the covenant we have with him, the beautiful relationship we have with him. And he turns our focus rather than inward to us, but outward to who he is, as we'll see in a moment, and what he's done. Dane Ortland, it's this amazing book I read not too long ago called Gentle and Lowly. If you haven't read it, you should. Speaking of this, he says, when the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that our, our one shot at significance has slipped through our fingers, when we, we can't sort out our emotions, when the longtime friend lets us down, when a family member betrays us, when we feel deeply misunderstood, when we are laughed at by the Uh, By the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such feeling feels like and sits close to us to embrace us, with us, in solidarity. This is exactly what God is doing here. He comes not just to meet Elijah's physical needs, but to meet him in that place and remind him of who he is and the covenant that he has with him because God conquers our self-pity by calling us to himself. If you're here today and you're in your own cycle of self-pity, just be reminded God doesn't leave you there. He's meeting you there. He's coming after you in that place. Well, in verse nine, look what he actually calls him to. He calls him to truth. He calls Elijah to truth, just like he will call you to truth, the truth of his word. Look in verse 9 with me. There he came to a cave, so he, he makes it to the mountain, and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord The God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go on and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And we're going to read the next few verses in a moment. But if you jump down to verse 18, one of God's responses is this. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You see, in his despair, in his self-pity, God's reminding him of truth here, right? He, he approaches the mountain. He goes into a cave. Maybe he's thinking, hey, perhaps in my self-pity, I'll just hang out here and just be kind of like a, an outsider, a hermit, and I'll just stay here in this desolate place, and no one will find me. So if I can't die, maybe I'll just live in this cave now, in my own cave of self-pity. How many of us here have a cave of self-pity? But God's not, in content, not, God not content leaving him there, right? And he speaks to him and he asks him a question. He says, man, what are you doing here? Can you imagine you're just sitting in a cave and you're like, what are you doing here? You're like, oh, I don't know. I'm just in the cave and chilling out, God, because I think there's nobody else and it's just me, right? He feels I've feel fulfilled my prophetic role. He says, man, I've been jealous for you and I haven't bowed my knee and I only am the one left. And apparently there's no impact. My, my ministry is futile. Like no one's doing anything. There's no one coming back to God. I'm the only one left. And he recounts all of it. And he recounts Israel's failures. And man, he's there. And I don't know if you can hint or see the hint of self-pity in his words. Like I'm the only one left. Might as well just stay in this cave and die. But in God's kindness and his compassion... He speaks to him to give him a new perspective. He wants him to know. He wants him to be reminded of the truth of not who Elijah is, but who God is. It's amazing if you read it, the word behold is used in verse 9, 11, and 13. And it's very important that it's there. He's speaking something to him. He wants Elijah to see his heart to be transformed by the truth of his word. He wants him to see truly who, who he is, who God is. Not him. You know, in self-pity always, often, we look inwardly. Whether we're, we're a dad that feels like we're not measuring up to be a good dad, we look inward. We're like, man, I, I stink. I've made all these mistakes. Whether we're, we're whatever. A pastor like myself, we look and we're like, man, I'm not very good at this. I failed there. We're always looking internally because it's self Pity. And what God wants to do here with Elijah is turn his perspective to see who God is. Notice what God doesn't say. God doesn't in the text say, You can do it, Elijah. Keep up the good work. Man, you're killing it. You're so gifted. No. He wants to show him who he is, who God is in the moment, right? in this still, quiet voice to him as he speaks to Elijah the truth. I think many times we can get fixated in this text on the still small voice and God only speaks in those quiet moments in the still small voice. And, And instead, as you look into it, the elements of the wind and the earthquake and the fire are actually all traditional signs and elements of a theophany, of God being present in a moment. And it's actually the very similar things that happened to Moses on top of the mountain when he was getting the covenant from God. So again, he's being reminded in that moment what Moses experienced, I'm experiencing as well. Here in this moment, when God is meeting with me, revealing Himself to me to change my perspective rather than myself, but to look to the God who is the covenant holder in this relationship. And God's power is seen, right? As He shows Himself in all of these moments. And it reminds I'm like, I am who I said I am. I'm the one who showed up. I, I just want you to see in these moments and remind them, what, what do you think happened on the top of the mountain when I consumed the sacrifice and the rocks and the water and the dust? He wants them to see his power and his glory and his love, that he is who he says he is. And again, in verse 13, behold. And he asks Elijah a question, what are you doing here? Again, after he shows himself in fire, and earthquake, and wind, and still small voice, and he speaks to him now again in the still small voice, what are you doing here? And what's Elijah's response? The same exact thing he said at the beginning. This self-pity, I'm the only one, the skewed view he has. I'm the only one who's left. I'm the only one that hasn't bowed my knee. And what does God do? God reminds him, hey, I still have 7,000. You think you're the only one, Elijah? You think you're the only one who hasn't done this? You're still filled with self-pity? I want to remind you that you're not in control. And while you're doing all that I asked you to as the prophet, I want to remind you that I'm still God. And when I want purposes to happen, they happen. And I still have 7,000 that I've saved as a remnant that have not bowed their knee. And you know nothing about it. I just want to remind you, Elijah, I'm God, you're not, stop looking inwardly, you can't do it, you don't have enough, but in me you do. And I've been working it all out. And you're a part of the equation, but you're not the only person, the only thing. So get your mind off yourself and look to who I am and what I've done. It's amazing, I told you in the first point that oftentimes where it hits pastors is on Sunday afternoons after their time of teaching or whatever it may be and, and I'll tell you even you just to continue in the same vein it's really easy sometimes to look and be filled with pity, self-pity as a pastor. Maybe it's different for you, but you look at your church and you're like, man, God isn't moving, God's not working, God's not doing anything in people's lives. Is God really using me? Is God, maybe it's, I'm the problem with our church. If I wasn't a part of it, maybe God could really move. And that's just what, what maybe I wrestle with sometimes because we get focused internally on us. And then days like today, when I'll go onto a lake And I think there's like 25, 20 some people anyways, getting baptized and I'll hear a story after story of people's lives that are being transformed not because of anything that i'm doing they might have met someone here or there or or found our website and whatever it might be or god will use one of you to bring them to christ or they've been in your small group and you've been sharing the gospel with them and showing the love of jesus and and often in these afternoons i'm just filled with emotion because it's it's one way when you hear the stories of people's lives where god is reminding me jim just stop looking at yourself, who cares about you? I've got work to do and I'm doing it every single day even when you don't see it. I don't need you, Jim. I draw you in, but I wanna change your perspective. It's not on you, it's not on any pastor. The same thing would be for you as a parent. It's, it's not on you, your job is obedience just like mine is, right? How many dads are in the room that are just like, I can't do this. I just stink at uh, being a dad. I don't, I don't know how to cross the bridge of being a spiritual leader in my home, and I'm just filled with despair and pity to the point where I'm just like, I'm just not even going to try. I'm not going to do it because I can't do it. Can I tell you, you can't do it, but God can in you. Have you submitted yourself to him? Other brothers in Christ to walk with you in the process, to remind you of the truth of God's word. Man, Christians today, I feel like so many of them are living in despair as they focus outward and look at the world around them and be like, man, literally uh, the whole world is, is moving in the opposite direction than what God wants. And we can be filled with despair and really think like at my work, I only am the only one left here to represent Jesus, but you don't even know about it. There's people, someone maybe two cubicles over that's walking through the same thing trying to follow Jesus and represent God in the workplace, right? And the list goes on and on, right? Whether it's parenting or just operating in the world or not being able to overcome a sin in your life and just fill with self-pity and like, man, start believing the lies that Satan wants to put in our own hearts and minds. And most of the time, it's because we're focusing on ourself. We're not focusing on who God is. He who began a good work, What? He'll finish it. It doesn't say, he who began a work, do your best, Jim. You got this. Finish it. No, it says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. I mean, you're going to struggle in life. You're not going to be the best dad. You're not going to be the greatest mom in the world. You're not going to be the greatest Christian in the world. You're not going to be the best pastor in the world. But in Christ, we can continue on in faithfulness and obedience, knowing that God began a work and he will finish it. As I submit to him and reminded of the covenant I have in him and reminded that the spirit of God is in me and walking with me and empowering me, right? You see, God overcomes our self-pity and our brokenness with calling us to truth, to see, right? That's why it's so important for you as a follower of Jesus to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. As Romans 12 reminds us, right, that our our minds are meant to be renewed. And the way it's renewed, literally that word kind of means renovated, like you renovate a house. As I get into the word of God, he reminds me of what's true and right and good. And I forsake the thoughts of my mind that Satan brings and I send them out like remodeling a house. And I put up new beautiful elements in my home as I renovate my mind by the truth of God's word but we have to have a priority in the word of God. Second, man, God gives us, one of the great gifts God has given us in this life is brothers and sisters in Christ. And do you have brothers and sisters in Christ that you're walking with? Not that you know you're walking with. That's why we believe highly in groups. In a couple of weeks, we're going to call the whole church. Are you in a group? You should join a group because we firmly believe that as you wrestle with the word of God that's taught on Sunday morning, and you are in the word of God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever it is, the days you're on your own, that you have brothers and sisters in christ to walk in it to remind you of the truth because many times i just believe the lie and i need a brother and sister in christ to speak over me the truth of god's word because i'm not believing it myself do you actually have brothers and sisters in christ that you're walking with that know when you're struggling and you're in self-pity like jim just being honest like hey i just this i just feel like i'm not i'm not very good and A brother or sister, Christ, to say you're not, but God is. Thank you. That's so encouraging. <laughs> right? But we need them. Need them, not just there, but they're knowing about when it's going on in my life and when I'm in these places, so they can begin to believe with me the truth of God's word and speaking into my life. Well, not only is he calling us to himself and calling us to truth, but he calls us to serve. Look what it says in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of um, ebo yeah, that one, um, you shall anoint to be prophet of your, in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Ahazel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And so the last thing that God calls him to is actually, here's what I want you to do. Go and be the prophet that I've called you to be. I've got something for you to do. I've got a service for you to actually fulfill. Go and do it, Right? He responds to his, his, his repeated declaration that, man, I'm the only one left by mobilizing him to go and do the work of the ministry that he's been called to do, right? He turns Elijah away from this introspective self-pity and self-focus, and, and he commissions him again, like, go and fulfill what I've called you to do. And the call is really just for Elijah, Elijah excuse me, to be obedient, right? Go down and be about the prophet's work, and I want you to anoint this king and a new king in the northern kingdom, and I want you to, 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 to anoint your successor, Elisha. Amen, go and do it. He gives him exactly what God wants him to do, right? He says, my plans will not be thwarted. I still have thousands still around. I still got something I'm pushing forward. I want you to be a part of it, right? So, so God, Yahweh, his answer to the crisis in his own mind, his crisis of faith and confidence is to underline the remaining work that he has to do that God's called him to, to order all things according to his word and move out the kingdom of God. He, he says, man, take your focus off of what you feel inside and put your focus on what I've called you to do and be obedient. Stop looking at how you're not good enough or you're the only one and be faithful to carry out all that I have for you to do being a prophet. I think it's really easy. Some people, I would say, it seems like, man, I don't know how they haven't found themselves in a pit of despair and brokenness as you walk through life with them or you read their story or you hear of what they have walked through. I'll never forget, I've mentioned this book before. When I was in college, I read a book called Through Gates of Splendor. If you haven't read it, it's about the missionary journey, a very short-lived missionary journey of Jim Elliott, who set out to Ecuador to reach the the Aka Indians who were actually quite hostile to their coming. And he was such a a, uh, successful missionary that when they arrived, they were killed speared and left floating in the river. And when you read the story, that's not actually the point of why I want to tell you the story. The point is, when you look at his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, what she did, I mean, I don't know about you, but if your husband was going to reach people in Ecuador and upon arrival he's murdered I'm pretty much setting into especially in that time with a family resting into despair and pity and asking God a lot of questions God what are you doing why would you lead him there why would you do this and maybe even run in the opposite direction and say God I don't want to be a part of you anymore if that's the kind of God you are but when you read the story it's fascinating while Jim Elliot failed failed not failed, but he was unable to reach the Akka people. Do you know who did? His wife, who went back by the grace of God, shared the gospel and, and saw the villages come to know Christ. I mean, to me, again, it just speaks to while God could have uh, left Elizabeth Elliot in her brokenness and her despair and her pity and said, "Ah, man." Are you kidding me? Good grief. Rather, God meets her there, shares truth with her, and calls her to a greater mission, to focus on the mission rather than focusing on the despair she's living in that her husband was murdered trying to reach the people God called them to reach. And in the process, Jim Elliott has probably sent more missionaries into the mission field by dying in a river and the faithfulness of his wife fulfilling the call that God put on her life and him. You see, in our pity and our self-despair, God brings us to a place reminding us of of, of the mission that he has to serve and to move forward and all that he has for us. You see, when we we focus on ourselves and our own self-pity, oftentimes we focus on us being served and what do I need and all this, which is great. There's places and seasons of life for that where we need to be served and people need to focus on us. But man, the call of God is to respond in the opposite direction. So God, what do you have for me? I I don't feel like I measure up, God, so uh, um, what do I do as a dad, as a mom, as a business individual, as a person of the church, whatever it is. I just don't feel like I have anything to bring to the table to the church. I don't have any gifts. Well, God looks back and says, you're wrong. I've gifted every person in this room. If you have the spirit of God, and your gift is not just for you. Your gift is for the, for, the, for the kingdom of God and how are you using it for the kingdom of God? And he calls us to respond in service, taking the focus off of ourselves and the focus back on God. God wants to use you. I just want you to know that God wants to use you and you can go through a whole list of people that might feel despair this morning in what God has called them to do. Man, you're, you're, you're a nurse or in the medical field, and that's where God has called you to be your mission field. And you feel like, man, there's nothing really happening for, for the kingdom of God in that place. I just want to remind you, don't slip into despair. Fully believe and focus on the mission that God's given you to represent God in the, in the hospital, in the workplace you have for the kingdom of God. And if you're a stay-at-home mom and you, you wrestle with, with, with a self-pity that, like, I don't do anything and there's nothing that I do good, man, God has called you to be such an amazing mom that your kids will grow up to follow after Jesus with their heart, soul, and mind. Don't allow self-pity to slip in and be like, man, I'll never measure up or I'm not doing anything or whatever it might be. Or, or whoever you are in this room forsake the self-pity that is in our own heart and our lives. Believe the truth of God's word and believe that he wants to use you in the exact place that you have self-pity. Where you are feeling like I am overwhelmed, I am not good enough, I'm broken, I'm sinful, in that place, God wants you to be used powerfully for his kingdom, for his service, for his glory. And ultimately, people's lives would be changed. It's interesting, I think that we've sang a number of songs this morning about gratitude, about gratefulness. And I think that one of the great ways to overcome self-pity or thinking that, man, we don't measure up or we're not good enough or whatever it is and God meets us in that place is to be reminded of what God has done and who God is. And out of a thankful heart, a grateful heart, respond to God, and when we respond to God about how grateful we are for what he's done, it takes our mind off of, the focus off of who we are and how we may not measure up and all of that and puts it back on God that we don't, but God does. And what God has done in me through Christ I can be the spiritual leader in my home. What God has done in me through Christ, I can represent the kingdom of God in the workplace. Man, what God has done in me through Christ, man, I can be be a faithful individual in what God has called me to in this moment, in this subdivision, in this coffee house, whatever it might be, I know I can, not because of who I am, but because who Christ is in me. So I just wanna finish the service today knowing and, and just reminding you that even Elijah have any of you guys called down fire from heaven in your workplace? I tried, it didn't work <laughs> Elijah did anybody of you raised someone from the dead? I haven't have any of you been sustained by ravens and angels by the miraculous hand of God? I, I haven't Elijah has. And even in all of what God has done in his life, he still is someone who slipped into despair to the point of wanting his life to end. Man, there may be you today, and I just feel like, this was not a part of what I said, I just feel like today someone in this room needs to hear that you're at a place where you want to take your own life, and God doesn't want that. He doesn't desire that in your despair in this moment, whether you're watching online or in this room, God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you that you might walk in newness of life. Life. And no matter what your thoughts are today, and Satan is making you or wanting you to believe about yourself to the point of self-harm, it is not true and God loves you and he wants to meet you there and call out of that truth in your life. God loves you, the people around you love you, there is nothing you can do that God would not love you. And today, I just want you to know that. And for all of us in this place, man, I just want us to respond with singing of gratitude to God, reminding ourselves, man, no matter where we are, even Elijah, who saw God move in unbelievable and miraculous ways, even him sat down next to a tree in his own self-pity and said, God, I just want it to be over. So feel, no, hey, I am just not that great of a Christian because I've been there. Man, you've been there because every person is there. But God wants to meet you in that place, call you to... What he's called you to do, believing the truth about himself, not you. God's got it, you don't. Let's stand and respond, just in singing of gratitude of what we have in Christ. And may I woo our hearts to walk in newness of life today. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, thanks for all that you do in our lives. The, we don't even remember to the point of, um, often we forget, excuse me, God, of, of what you have what you've done in our lives already through Christ and what you're continually doing. And so God, to the broken in this room that are overwhelmed with, with um, the temptation to believe that you dislike them or have something against them because they struggle with sin, speak truth into their life. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. But you, walk up, you call us to walk in obedience, not to stay in that place. God, to the individuals in this room that are wrestling with men, I don't measure up as a dad or as a mom or as a husband or a wife or a, a business individual or, or representative of the kingdom of God in my neighborhood or, or, or whatever it may be, a place, even the church. God, would you speak truth to the life right now? And God, may we respond as we're reminded that you love us. You don't leave us there. You pursue us. You speak truth to us. And right now, God, by the Spirit of God, would you speak truth to people in this room that are wrestling and struggling? And may our response be gratitude, God, of all that you have done and all that you've done in our lives. We say thank you, God. In Jesus' name.